in Luke chapter 1, where we were for our scripture reading. There is a... There's so much associated with this season. I'm going to list you some things off, and I'm not meaning to say that these things are wrong because we have embraced a lot of these things ourselves. As we approach the Christmas season, it, you know, we think about the decorations, the trees, the lights. Some of us decorate earlier than others. I have transitioned in my life. I used to be a bit of a Grinch, but as I've gotten older and my, as my kids are starting to lean into Christmas a good bit. I'm all for decorating as early as possible. I, I, we, we, had, we had our Christmas stuff up at the house before Thanksgiving and then went, what, the day before Thanksgiving or something like that and went and got a tree somewhere around there, I don't know. And, uh, and so uh, we, you know, we like to get started at it early. I'm not against that. I'm not against gifts. I'm not against the food. Hallelujah. Okay. But sometimes those of us that are a little more pious, you know, we, we make sure that we get the religious things in there too with all of our stockings and all of our presents. Make sure and get that nativity out there, you know. Make sure and get that nativity out there. I saw a meme the other day. It was a dog that had a sign hung around his neck. And he said, my name is whatever it was, and I ate the baby Jesus out of the nativity. I'm worried about the second coming. That's what the sign said, the poor dog. <laughs> Um, he was concerned about his soul. We talk about peace and goodwill, and so did the angels. We make much of the baby Jesus. But for many, even Christians, there's one forgotten element, a gift that was given by every major player in the Christmas story with the exception of Herod. The gift is the gift of worship. Now, when we talk about worship, we ask ourselves why true worship is so foreign to the church today. Probably because we don't really know what true worship is. Friend, I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind, and, and I'm not feeling the need to call names, but the vast majority of the preachers you see on TV wouldn't know worship if a bucket of it was poured over their heads. They'll try to tell you they know, but in the process of them worshiping, if they flash something across the screen that says, send $10 and you'll get blessed, forgive me, Miss Collins, that ain't worship. It's not a feeling. It's not an experience. It's not a trance. We all know of people that have lived for the devil all week long and then come to church and throw their hands up and say, oh, we worship today. No, you felt something, but you didn't worship. How do we define worship? And by the way, I recommend a book to you by a guy named Warren Wearsby called Real Worship. It's a really good book. And I kind of flipped through that and just got his take on it. He quotes several people. Um, and so when I give you this definition, we're, we're quoting people like Warren Wearsby. We're quoting a guy named William Temple, who was an archbishop of the Anglican Church years ago. And uh, this is, this is kind of what you put together. Real worship is the supernatural response of a Christian to their creator, who alone is worthy of such adoration. 
It is a choice that results in action, a matter of mind, emotion, and will. It is, submission of all our, it is the submission of all our nature to God, the quickening conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. So if we were to take all of that and put it into more succinct definition to work with this morning, we'd say that worship is the proper and purposed response of adoration and obedience to all that God is, all that God says, and all that God does. Can I tell you that again? Worship is the proper and purposed response of adoration and obedience to all that God is, all that God says, all that God does. Now, notice we said response, not reaction. A reaction is not controlled. One of the fruits of the Spirit is temperance, self-control. Worship should be controlled. What do I mean? I mean, we worship him on purpose. We didn't accidentally worship this morning. We purposed to. It was a response, not a reaction. We're going to look at five personalities that we associate with the Christmas story. And as we do, we're going to glean from their examples, and we're going to learn five traits from them that characterize the forgotten gift of worship. The forgotten gift of worship. My Father, would you help me today as I preach this message? May I first and foremost bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, this week has been a struggle. I've wrestled all week with different things. And as best I know, Lord, I've, I'm right with you in this moment. Though my attitude has not always been what it should be, though my responses or my reactions more accurately have not always been what they should be, though my fears have sometimes been allowed to well up in me, I've just not been as spirit-filled this week as I should have, as I would have liked to have been, I know that you want me to be. And I confess all of that. But as best I know in this moment, I'm right with you. And Lord, I'm asking you to use this message and not let me get in the way of it. I'm asking you, Lord, to just speak to us in a way that is clearly you. And help us to never get over it. And help us to worship. Of course, in Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. We're in Luke chapter 1. I want to begin talking about Mary. In Luke chapter 1, verse number 46, Mary has been told that she's to expect the Christ child. She's now gone to spend some time with Elizabeth, her cousin. And while she is there, she gives what is called the Magnificat. The Magnificat. Uh, Mary, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said... My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. I always have to pause here. We've got friends that mean well and and, and desire, I think, to do the right thing, but they're wrong in the idea. Our Catholic friends 
who, who need to understand that salvation is by grace through faith alone. There's no works to be added to it. There's no church dogma to be added to it. And certainly you do not add Mary to it. Mary is not a co-redemptrix. You do not get to the Lord through Mary. There's one man and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Mary plays no role in that. And he or she makes it clear that she was in need of a Savior just like everybody else. We, we respect Mary, but we do not reverence her. We thank the Lord for her and for the character that it took to be who she was and do what she did. But she is not any more saint than any person in here who's been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, now when you talk with folks about that, you don't need to be unkind about it. But we need to understand our Savior is Christ alone. Christ alone. She says, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him. From generation to generation he hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things. He didn't just fill you with things, friends. He fills you with good things. You ever been hungry? I mean really hungry, not bored. Hungry. You would look at me and think that I'm constantly hungry. Usually I'm bored. It's one thing to eat something to satisfy your hunger, but oh, but he doesn't, he doesn't stop with just giving you something to satisfy. He gives you good things. Has not God been far better to us than anything we could ever ask or think? I mean, my goodness, y'all, you know what I got waiting for me at home? A ham. I don't deserve, I don't deserve a, a, a McDonald's hamburger. Now, some of you kids are like, that'd be great. Well, you'll grow out of that. <laughs> I got a ham waiting for me, y'all. And potato salad. And biscuits. The flaky kind. And I'm excited. God hasn't just given me things, y'all. He's given me good things. Think about it. Think about the good things that God's given you. She did. And the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath hoped in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever and ever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. What, what do we see in Mary? What was her gift in the matter of her worship? I'll tell you what it was. It was a song. It was a song. The Magnificat is a song. Now, Mary began with complete surrender. You remember back in verse 38 when, when Gabriel comes to her with this message, and what does she say? Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And that's where it all begins, friend. Whatever God wants for your life, just trust him with it and surrender and let him have it. But then, once she surrendered, that gives way to a song. Your worship should first yield surrender. But then... It should bring forth a composed, purposed expression of love. A song. You say, well, Andy, I got you there. I can't sing. That's okay. And there's plenty of people that they enjoy the song service, but you won't see them that involved in it. 
And some of it's because they can't sing. Some of them think they can't sing, but really you could. I'm not talking about whether or not you're involved in the song service. I'm talking about that abiding melody that the songwriter wrote about. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Beloved, I don't really have to talk a whole lot right here. You know right now whether or not you have a song in your heart. You know. And I'm telling you, if there's no song, it's probably because there's some area that wasn't surrendered. And if there's no surrender and there's no song, by Mary's example, you've not yet worshipped. You've not yet worshipped. Mary teaches us that the forgotten gift of worship involves a song. But then we look to Elizabeth. We're still in Luke. We're going to go back to verse 39. Verse 39. Mary goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And Mary rose in those days and went into, a hill, into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, that's John the Baptist, leaped within her womb, and Mary was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Mary worshipped with a song. Elizabeth worshipped by being spirit-filled. By being spirit-filled. Now you understand that up until Pentecost... The Spirit would come upon people at times of God's choosing. So it worked a little bit differently right here. But the principle is still the same. When you're saved, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. You have 100% of the Holy Spirit that there is to have. With, with due respect to greater preachers than me that believe in what's called a second blessing, I believe you get all of him at the moment you get saved. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, there were good men that see John R. Rice comes to mind. And honestly, if I've got to lean one way or the other, if I want to be cold and dead or like John R. Rice, I'll take John R. Rice. But we're talking about being spirit-filled. Being spirit-filled is not whether or not you have 100% of the Holy Spirit. It's whether or not the Holy Spirit has 100% of you. It's not whether or not he's your resident. It's whether or not he's your president. See, And in this moment, Elizabeth was fully under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Fully under the control. That was her gift in her matter of worship. Can I show you how it showed itself? First of all, in contentment. She had no problem with Mary's greater experience. 
Ladies, maybe this will touch a spiritual nerve. Have you ever known someone that no matter how good, new, how good your news was, their news was better? You know? Elizabeth, I want you to think about this. It's evident that Elizabeth was in, at the very least, her 60s and possibly into her 80s. They were not able to have a child, boy or girl. And now they're having a son, which is just top-tier Jewish culture news right there. Now, I know those of you that maybe are past 60 are thinking, no, thank you. <laughs> but for Mary, this is good news. She's, I mean, Elizabeth, rather. She's excited. They're celebrating. I'm going to have a baby boy. And then what happens? Mary shows up. Well, your baby boy is great and everything, but... I'm having the son of God. You ever known somebody like that? Maybe it's a relative. As soon as you, soon as you announce something, they, they come in and they want to announce something too. They want to make sure they're always, you know, on top of the, the family news and all of that. If you can't think of anybody, it might be you. <laughs> what, what is her response to that? Mary doesn't even have to say anything. She just greets her. Elizabeth, and all of a sudden, whoo, this baby's going crazy in here. And she's excited. She's happy. Why? Because she's content with how the Lord's blessed her, regardless of how the Lord blesses somebody else. You want to know if you're spirit-filled? How do you respond when other people are doing better than you? She was content. You know what else will show that you're spirit-filled? It's also contagious. This passage doesn't say that John was filled with the Holy Ghost. It says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and it had an impact on her baby boy. I got news for you, parents. You walk with God and you get filled with the Holy Ghost, it will impact your kids. And what a wonderful thing it is when you learn, when you watch them learn, rather, to rejoice in the Savior just like you do. What did John say in John, 3 John? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. My, my question to you this day, if you think you're here to worship, do you have a song? Are you spirit-filled? But then we look to the, the, the lesson of Joseph. Go over to Matthew chapter 1 with me, would you? Matthew chapter 1. I got this cool bookmark here I'm using this morning. Somebody gave me, and I've never had one, and I really like it. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. It's important that we get some context here. The engagement back then is not the same thing as we understand now. Being, being married was a year-long process. Now, sometimes the wedding and the reception can feel like it's a year long, but that's not what I'm saying. The contract would be signed. There would be the betrothal. And, and, and we're not getting into this. It's a beautiful picture of the marriage that occurs between 
the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and his church. But anyway, it's a long process. So they are legally married at this point, but they have not yet come together as husband and wife. But they are legally married. And so the only way to, unlike an engagement, the only way to dissolve this arrangement is through a legal divorce. And so he gets the news that she's with child. Okay? And he takes the position of, I'm not going to take this public. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put her to the, the uh, scrutiny of the masses and possibly even get stoned. I'm just going to put her away and move on with my life. Even then, he's showing great compassion. He doesn't know any different. Okay. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Mary gave a song. Elizabeth gave the gift of being spirit-filled. Joseph gave the gift of selflessness. Think of all the things that Joseph laid aside for this arrangement. First of all, he laid aside his organization. Everything that he had organized, all the plans that he had made, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and at this point we're going to have kids and at this point we're going to do this and I'm going to become a big shot in the community. I'm going to be the best carpenter there is. Everybody's going to come to me for their furniture. All of those plans, all of that organization, gone. Maybe you experienced something like that. I used to think I knew what I was going to do for a living. I had it all worked out. Me and my buddy, we were going to go to college, we were going to get a degree in a certain major, and we were going to go into business, and all this stuff was going to happen, and we were going to, it was going to be great. And then God stepped in and said, that's not what I've called you to do. At some point, it stops being about self and starts being about what God wants. And Joseph accepted a change in his organization. You know what else? He also was selfless in the matter of his reputation. Because if it comes out that Mary is with child, okay, if it comes out that Mary is with child and he doesn't put her away, then what has he said to everybody? That baby's his. Nobody views it as an act of compassion. Nobody views it as a man who just unconditionally loves his wife. No, they view it as, oh, well, it must have been him. Christian, can I tell you something? Sometimes doing right means allowing other people to say things about you that aren't true. And you just serve God and keep going. you got to be selfless. In the matter of your organization, in the matter of your reputation, yeah, if you serve God, some people are going to think you are loony. They're going to think you are just messed up or whatever else. And you got to just give all that to God and let them think what they're going to think. You know what else? He gave up his organization, his reputation, and he gave up his expectation. I'm going to be really careful with this one. When you get married, you have certain expectations as to how that's supposed to go. Certain things that you've been waiting for your whole life. What's it say of Joseph? He put all of those expectations on hold 
until after Jesus had been born. All of them. Okay, great, fine. But think about that. Congratulations, you're getting... What what if I stood up here and I, I I officiated a wedding and I said, congratulations, you're now husband and wife. And you go to kiss the bride and I say, ah, you got to wait a year. I'm sorry, what? Yep. You can't so much as kiss her for a year. What? Yeah. That would be unreasonable, wouldn't it? But Joseph understood that what we were dealing with here was so holy and so above him that his flesh could not be any part of it. Can I tell you something, beloved? What we're dealing with here is so holy and so above us that our flesh can have no part in it. It must be all entirely the Spirit of God that does the work. And so Joseph, as he worshipped, he gave the gift of selflessness. Elizabeth, as she worshipped, she gave the gift of being spirit-filled. Mary, as she worshipped, she gave the gift of song. Go back to Luke chapter 2. The shepherd's gift was one of submission. One of submission. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now why is this a matter of submission? When the angel says, you shall find the babe, what is implied in that? Go look for him, right? That's implied in that. The angel gave them a command, go to Jesus. And they submitted to that command. That in and of itself is submission. But understand something. They weren't supposed to be in town. They were ceremonially unclean. They weren't supposed to interact with others. They weren't supposed to do any of this stuff. But God said, go. And the word of God, see, when they were out in the field, nobody messed with them. Nobody made fun of them. Nobody called them unclean. They're out there doing their job, and they're fine. But the angel says, go. The word of God says, go. And it motivated them to leave their safe space, to leave the one place where they feel like they feel like they should and obey God. Now, here's my question for you and for me. When is the last time your submission, your obedience, motivated you to leave your safe space, to step away from where you felt comfortable 
and be willing to interact with people that maybe don't want you there. Whether it's to give the message of the gospel or to utter a kind word or whatever, these fellows submitted to the command of God and they left where they were most comfortable and went to where God wanted them to be. That's a sign of worship. Oh, we came to church to worship today. Then you must have a song. You must be spirit-filled. You must be selfless. You must be submitted. Here's the last one. Go to Matthew chapter 2, please. Matthew chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, that happens to be Micah 5.2, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. How do we know he's not serious about his worship? Because there's no song, there's no spirit filling, there's no selflessness, there's no submission. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house where they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. No matter how wealthy these guys were, we don't know how many of them there were. We just know there were three gifts. No matter how wealthy they were, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were very expensive and were no small thing. In fact, it was enough to finance them living in Egypt for a good amount of time. If you give me a gift that allows me the resources I need to live abroad for a year, that's quite a gift, right? But what you see when you see these wise men is you see their gift is one of sacrifice. Yeah, they may have been wealthy, but that doesn't mean that this wasn't sacrificial. It was understood by these men that worshiping a king would involve giving. No matter how wealthy they were, it involved a sacrifice. And they brought it. Now, I care not how much you give. That is between you and God, and I don't make a point to look into any of that, okay? But it is amazing to me how many Christians think that they can worship the Lord without it costing them anything. Does it cost you anything to be saved? No, Jesus paid it all. But once you are saved, it does cost to serve the Lord. It does cost to worship the Lord. 
I'm not interested in what you put in that check. I'm not interested in what you put online. I'm not interested in what you put on the box. I'm interested in whether or not you have looked at Jesus and in your worship said, you are worthy of my worship. What do I have that can be yours? Because it involves sacrifice. So what? It's Christmas Eve. We've already sung it. Oh, come, let us adore him. What's adore mean, worship? Have you come to worship him today? Because if you have, this is what it involves. It involves your song. I don't have a song, Andy. Then get one. Start thinking about how good he's been to you. And you may not sing it out loud. You may not can carry a tune in a bucket. But there is an expression of love that will well up in your heart that God will take as a song. Remember, the Bible doesn't say make a joyful song. It says make a joyful noise. There's a song. Oh, I want to worship him today. Then be spirit-filled. Lord, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I have all of you. I want you to have all of me. Then be selfless. Give him your organization. Give him your plans. Give him your reputation. Give him your expectation. Give it all to God and trust that his plan's better. Submission. Be willing to leave your comfort zone and obey him no matter where it takes you. And sacrifice. Here's all God wants. You ready? All God wants is all. All? All. He wants your marriage. He wants your kids. He wants your job. He wants your future. He wants your dreams. He wants it all. But I promise you, whatever you give him is in the safest, most productive place it can be. He wants all because he alone is able to do with it what he can. So give it to him. Because if you'll leave here with a heart of submission, a heart of sacrifice, a heart of selflessness, a heart that's spirit-filled, a heart that's got a song, then we will have truly worshipped. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.